is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Sugar Plum from the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Great way to get the programme started. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for listening. Jazz Shapers is a place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And we bring in someone who is also doing the same in the world of business, and we call them business shapers. My business shaper this week is none other than Gina Miller. And Gina Miller is a businesswoman and she's also an activist, you may have heard, if you haven't been out of the country for the last year. We're going to be hearing about Gina on this special encore edition, three years on from the last time that we interviewed her. And a fair amount of stuff has happened, it is fair to say. In addition to hearing from Gina, we'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And then we've got the music and it's brilliant today and it includes Diane Schur, Dr John, Madeline Peru and this from Quincy Jones. That was Quincy Jones with Watermelon Man. This is Jazz Shapers, and thank you very much for joining me again. My business shaper today is, as I said, Gina Miller. And Gina Miller is a well-known businesswoman, and she's also an activist, and an activist now that's had um, much more time in the in the spotlight than she has done historically. And Gina and I first met three years ago, pretty much to the day. Gina, thank you for joining me again. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Now, three years ago, um, most people wouldn't have heard of Gina Miller. Um, You were quietly or noisily, (laughs) in your own way, getting on with a whole bunch of initiatives, a whole bunch of businesses you created from your investment management business to your um, uh, investment platform, which is a female dedicated investment platform, to the True and Fair Foundation, and it goes on and on. I mean, a proper entrepreneur. Now here in uh, where we are, February, March 2017, um, you're very well known for the Article 50 case and for for kind of holding the government to account. I just want to go back in time a little bit, though. When we first met, I asked you a a number of questions about, and as I do many people, where did you get this entrepreneurial spirit from? In addition to that, at the time, I also we also talked about fairness, because what was true then is also true now. You've had a deep seated belief in fairness. Just tell me a little bit about this fairness thing before we go to the business and, and so on. Where's it really emanated from? It's a question I keep being asked. And I, is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it experience? Is it the scars that I've um, sort of achieved over life for good and bad? I think it's a combination of all those things. But um, probably starts with parenting. If I look back and think and contemplate... You know, the values you, you instill in your children are the ones that, hold, that they hold throughout their lives. And if you are parents who talk to your children all the time, like my parents did and my father in particular, um, and he instilled in me this idea that, uh, you know, there are good and bad people. 
and people can change, but inherently you have to try and be a good person. And the things you really own are your conscience and your voice and your actions. Everything else comes and goes. But if you stick to that fact that those are the things that are the most powerful and make you a powerful human being, then you can do anything. Now, your father was um, an attorney general, I believe, um, as well as being, I think he was the leader of the opposition over um, back in Guyana. Yes. Deeply involved in politics in some form, deeply involved in in the upholding of the law and all that. Uh, You said, I believe, when your husband was, I think your your soon-to-be husband way back when he was getting divorced, you said, of course I'm going to stand by him because this is a matter of law. There was a whole point about this case going way, way up. Just tell me a little bit about, even then, and this is before Gina Miller became associated with uh, the post-referendum result and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. Even then, were you clear that that was just the right thing to do? I think in times of debate or times of division, then the rule of law is an incredibly powerful element in its right. And it it comes and it can create certainty and fairness. And the rule of law, if you look back throughout history, and I'm a bit of a history geek, um, when societies have been threatened and falling apart, it is the lawyers and the judges and the wise men that come to the fore and create some levity when in form of, of sanity, but also common sense. And part of that, I think, is because of the way a legal mind works. You can disassociate yourself from the emotion of a situation and bring to the fore reason and honesty and integrity. And those are the things that I think make make the rule of law or law so important in our society. You know, one of the things I often hear in, in a lot of different families is this idea that, you know, you should become a doctor because that's the thing that will make you, you know, you will give to people by being a doctor and looking after other people. Actually, a lawyer, the rule of law, you are actually ensuring the health of society, not just the health of individual human beings. It's about that health of society that I really think is important. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper today here on the Jazz Shapers Encore special. It's Gina Miller. Time for some more music. This is Diane Sher, and it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. That was Diane Shaw with her take on it. Don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Nice counterpoint to the the serious uh, the serious matter of the rule of law and upholding that. Uh, Gina Miller is my business shaper today. And you, you, when you're relaxing, I'm going to talk about that for a minute. Um, <laughs> you obviously have to relax because even you, you're, you're the Miller the machine is also Miller the person. <laughs> what do you do to relax, Gina? Apart from love jazz music, I believe. Yeah, I'm a great jazz fan, but also my children are the light of my life. Um, you know, and I spend an awful lot of time with them. They're involved in everything I do. But I'm afraid I'm also a petrol head, so I do race cars quite a lot. I'm, I love my speeding machines, and uh, so I'm afraid uh, it's my R8, and I'm out going at crazy miles an hour. Uh, my husband's actually banned me from my motorbike, but I did have one at one point. <laughs> so, I mean, on a serious point, you obviously you're a bit of a thrill seeker. And I mean that yeah. in a kind of, you know, you need... There's I accept a, that. There's an adrenaline rush. Yes. When you... And we talked also about the distinction between the rational and the emotional before, and you said what's great about the lawyers and the judges is that they can disassociate their emotions. 
many of us would have read many, many articles about you and why you decided that you were going to take on the government and hold the government to account with regard to the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we must, I want to state that it's about the process around Absolutely. upholding upholding how this the whole um, post-referendum thing has happened. You must have been emotional at one point because you got angry, right? I mean, that's what made you do something. I was angry. It was a, a combination of anger and disappointment in the politicians who hadn't, in my view, behaved with integrity or honesty and had put us in a position where, to my mind, and from everything I knew from being on the referendum trail, that there was no plan of action as to how we progressed. Um, And there was a desperation setting in. So there was a combination of of disappointment and anger and and alarm, actually, as what was going to happen next. In in terms of the activism that you have now taken on, and you've always been an activist, as as I said earlier, with with regard to the foundation you have and with regard to taking on the financial industry uh, in terms of the transparency around fees and all those other other things, and this isn't, so in other words, this isn't the first, how have you managed to, if indeed you have, to continue focusing on your business when what you're now involved in, and there's more to come, uh, I'm I'm imagining with more to come with what, what you're going to be doing next, how have you managed to keep focused on investments and and on clients and things like that when you're just so consumed in this new world that you find yourself in? It's interesting because a lot of people perceive that I put the business life to one side and the case dominated my life for seven months. Actually, I did it in my spare time and carried on doing all the other things I do. I'm just very fortunate that I don't actually sleep a lot. I can get a huge amount done from, say, 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's my normal time that I'll be working. But also I mill things around over in my mind all day long. So it's much easier for me to then sit and write something or decide on a course of action. It's just something I'm good at. There's lots of things I'm bad at. I mean, I'm terrible at the detail, but I seem to be good at the process and the strategy and just thinking about the big picture. And you don't get ratty because you don't have enough sleep? No, I, I'm, I could do three or four say? hours. No, no, no. My husband, unfortunately, needs eight hours. So, you know, we sort of have a, 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 an unusual relationship. But I've always been that way. I've always been able to work. Um, I know it's not good from a health point of view, because one of the things I will say is that being an adrenaline junkie has its good and bad. And uh, there is always, you know, at the moment in the back of my mind, the, the prospect of, you know, what will it do to my health in the long term? But for right now, I have to concentrate on the things I think are worth fighting for. I think we might need to send you to the, the, the doctors now that you've been talking <laughs> talking to the lawyers. Um, uh, stay with me for much more from my business shapers. That's Gina Miller here on this Jazz Shapers Encore edition. Latest travel in a couple of minutes and before that, some words of wisdom, I hope, from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your business. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkondorea. One of the things I always say to clients who come to me with a claim, whether it's against an insurance company or some sort of other financial institution, is be prepared to be in it for the long run because the opponents will try and wear you down. And that applies whether you're an individual or a relatively large company yourselves. Some of these institutions are set up to try and drive you um, to distraction and abandon the claim. So having the stamina and the appetite is very important. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. And every Saturday I talk to someone who's shaping the world of business. My brilliant person today is Gina Miller, and it's a Jazz Shapers Encore edition. And Gina Miller, when I interviewed her three years ago, was less well-known, um, was quite well-known for doing some act- uh, having some activity around uh, challenging the financial business uh, community and their, their attitude towards fees, and also a businesswoman and a, and a serial entrepreneur in her own right. And here we are three years later, and many of you will now have heard of Gina Miller because she has been under the spotlight because she decided uh, to be the lead claimant in the Article 50 case and hold, and hold the government to account. There's been a huge amount of publicity about you uh, as the person behind all this, regardless of what you think and, and the practical steps. And you talked about how good you are at process and so on and so forth and being logical. How have you coped emotionally with the talk, the chatter, the, the articles, all sorts of stuff? And I, I don't even mean the, the horrific stuff. I just mean the fact that people want to know how many kids you, you've got. They want to know whether you're married or all that thing. How has that felt for you? It's, it's been annoying more than anything. Um, and the reason for that is because I wanted them to concentrate on the message, not the messenger. And it was about the case. But so few people, as time went on, wanted bothered to read it. I still think most people didn't read the case and have no idea what it was all about. And that I find incredibly frustrating because it was so fundamental to us as a country and a constitution. I wanted people to become involved and to become activists about it and to understand that politics is not something that happens to them or the law doesn't happen to them. It's about them. And that was really important for me. So I found it very frustrating that so much attention was on me because, you know, the different publications, people have basically ransacked every element of my life, be it my business, my character, my qualifications, my children, you know, you name it, they've been there. Um, And fine. Um, My attitude, I I could get cross, I could get upset. But do I really want those people to agree with me? I'd actually be horrified if the people who disagreed with me agreed with me, if that makes any sense. Um, And I just concentrate on what I believe is right and what my conscience tells me is the right thing to do. But I mean, to, to be fair, as a, politi- as a person who actually studied politics and as a student of politics as, as an adult, the, the thing that Bill Clinton talked about years ago was the emotional agenda. And everyone is driven by emotions. And if ever there's been a time for that to have come to fruition and for us to see it, it's been the last year, whether that's in America and whether that's over here in the UK and who knows what's going to happen in Europe in the next six to 12 months. Are you really surprised that people think emotionally? Are you really surprised that the, you're the shortcut to the position that they think you've taken. No, and I don't actually get upset with them because I think everyone voted because they thought it was the right thing to do and they did it for what they thought was right for their families and themselves. What I do think is wrong is that certain politicians played and picked on people's emotions and amplified them in a very negative way, which is why we got to where we are. So I'm not surprised that people are angry with me because it's easy to get angry with me. And in some ways, the politicians have hung me out to dry and have been very happy for me to be the, um, you know, the target of those emotions. But I'm very, I don't know, I'm very strong in myself. I always have been. I've never let it get to me. If anything, the um, letters and messages I've got of people who are also suffering because of what's happening to our society has made me feel even more determined that I need to stand up and be very sound and level-headed in my responses. Now, that on one level, that's fine. And just very briefly, the, the, the nastiest side of it, the, the proper abuse, I mean, the threats and all those things, has that upset you? Because what I'm, what we, on one hand, people disagreeing with you and you become the, the touched the touch yeah, paper. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's fine. What about the abuse, though? How have you handled that? Has that truthfully resulted in you quietly 
shutting the door, turning the lights off and having a good cry? Or is it not like that for you? No, it's not like that for me. I am appalled. It, it shocks me and alarms me that uh, people think it's acceptable um, or that it's the norm. You know, the number of people, or women particularly, in places of power or journalists in the media who say, oh, but Gina, this is normal. This happens to us all the time. When did it become normal? I mean, I find it incredibly alarming that these things are just brushed aside. And so it's now made me think we have to talk out about these. These are taboos we have to confront. It is not right to threaten someone. It, again, I go back to think it's not the message. It's the message. It doesn't matter which medium it's come from, be it on a letter or online or Twitter, wherever it is. These are lines that are crossed that must not be crossed. Stay with me for much more from Gina Miller, my business shaper, today here on Jazz Shapers Encore Edition. Time for some more music right now. This is Madeline Peru with Don't Wait Too Long. That was Madeline Peru with her Don't Wait Too Long. Good, it was too. Um, Gina, the impact of your activism on your business, and I don't, I've read lots, but I don't know if people have really talked about that. You know, I talked to lots of founders of businesses, and sometimes they take a stand outside of their business, sometimes they don't. What impact has it had on Jean Miller, the brand in her business, do you think? Well, surprisingly, it's been more of a backlash against the foundation. Not so. We, there has been um, some backlash on the business, be it a cyber attacks on the website or people just saying that we would never invest with you. People who are, all, you know, uh, investors we already ha- were having conversations with, which I expected, and that's absolutely fine. What I didn't expect was a huge backlash against the foundation. You know, I've had people complain to the charity commission saying that my actions as founder of the foundation has endangered the foundation and the work we do. Um, we've had investigations from. Different publications in the charity sector. We've had thousands of people signing, um, you know, petitions to close down the foundation. It, it, it. I just find that baffling. Why would you target a charitable foundation? You know, people saying I'm not a philanthropist. What does that mean? I'm a self-claimed this, and you know, they want to see my tax returns. You know, demanding freedom of information requests um, as an individual. Obviously, I don't have to do that. But it's been extraordinary the backlash to the charitable work and the foundations that I did not envisage. And and you've gone from being a bit of a private citizen here on this point to more of a public figure. Again, apart from the backlash, has there been positive? Have there been many positive impacts on your business now that you're now that you're there? Now that people want to talk to you? Now that politicians want to talk to you? Now that uh, spin doctors want to talk to you? That the good and the great are happy to have a conversation with Gina Miller. I think it will help on the campaigning work that I'm doing against the the ripoffs I see in the city. But when it comes to the business, because obviously those who would like to throw mud have said, oh, there's a business agenda behind this. Actually, our business is almost completely UK based. So wouldn't have an impact on us leaving the EU. The business just wouldn't be impacted. So we will carry on growing. I will carry on doing what we've done. It will level out the people who've left and the people who've come. So it's not made a huge difference. What it will do is create a platform where I can be even more of an activist when it comes to the wrongs I see in the city. And in terms of being becoming an activist, if you were, when we last met, you were probably seventy thirty business to activist. I'm guessing, or I'm, I'm making this up a little bit. But now, obviously, it's gone the other way. It's much more, at least in the minds of the uh, uh, of people listening today, and most people would be, I see Gina Miller, I connect that to activism rather than business or even philanthropy. Mm-hmm. 
Is that for you how you're going to see your future? Are you going to become a 100% activist? No, I, I see it as 50-50 in that everything I do, be it in my charitable work or my business life, has always centred on integrity and honesty and transparency. So I see myself as a transparency campaigner. And wherever I think there are dark corners, I will talk about it. Watch out if you're in one of those dark corners, because Gina Miller will not let you go, will not let you stay there uh, with that lack of transparency. Final chat coming up with her. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Dr. John. That's coming up after the latest traffic and travel. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Dr. John with Right Place, Wrong Time. Gina Miller is my business shaper today. Uh, Right place, right time, I hope. Um, She's, uh, as you probably will have been aware, has been at the centre of um, the Article 50 case that was brought against the government and indeed was successful. Many people will be asking, Gina, what next for you? Because obviously big things don't just stop in a binary way. They they have outcomes, they have implications. Uh, Newton's third law of motion Mm. and there will be other things. What is next for you? What what are you going to be doing? Well, there are a number of things. Um, I'm in the midst of doing a report on the charity sector. We've already done two, highlighting some of the things I think that's structurally inefficient there. So more work to be done there. There's a lot of work to be done in the the pensions investment world because there is this feeling that as we leave Europe, a lot of the legislation, the consumer-friendly legislation will fall away, which we don't believe it will. But pressure, we have to keep the pressure up to make sure that people in the UK will be protected post-Brexit when it comes to investments and pensions. There's a lot of work to do there. And on the um, political arena, I say I'm not a politician, but I've obviously on the political stage now. And I have said time and time again that uh, once the case was won, I would still be keeping an eye on, from the point of view of transparency and process, in the absence of an effective um, opposition that we seem to find ourselves in, I will be keeping an eye on the government and their activities to ensure that the judgment that uh, we won and fought hard for, and I fought very hard for, is um, executed in line with the legal requirements. And indeed, on that, on, on that, the purpose of the judgment was to essentially give Parliament a role, because if Parliament is sovereign, Parliament has a role going forward. I'm going to read a quote here, because I, 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 and I shared it with you earlier. It's a, it's a great quote. Um, What's the point of having a conscience if you never use it? Now, I think that was directed at potentially um, members of parliament who had been given the opportunity through the judgment, through the outcome of the judgment, to actually have a vote. And the vote around the paper hasn't, it didn't materialise that way. It's going through. What can you do now to ensure that? this country has the opportunity to make informed decisions? Well, I think it's, I mean, I was so frustrated and let down and disappointed that having fought so hard to put the MPs back at the centre of the debate, which is where they rightly should be, um, they didn't use their consciences. I mean, I do believe that the vote should have been um, one that was done in secret. I don't think it should have been conducted in the way it was. It's being pushed through at a phenomenal rate. You know, I've actually found that it took longer to debate um, dog fouling and dog straying um, in part six of a community's bill than it has to or it is going to to leave the EU, which is, you know, absurd in its entirety. But 
it has to be about how this government is behaving. And as I've said, without an effective opposition, then we all have to ask questions. I mean, the white paper wasn't even worth the paper was written on. It was a farce. The vote wasn't, as far as I'm concerned, um, conducted in the best way. It, you know, who who needs to be whipped? You know, whipping comes from keeping dogs and hunting. I mean, the whole thing is, is absurd if you look at it from a common sense point of view. But we have to have a parliament that is sovereign. And that means not allowing an MP and an executive to just decide that parliamentary sovereignty means making decisions that support them. Last question before I ask you for your song choice. So so now you're on this political stage. Um, you've described what you're going to be doing to hold the government to account and so on, and, and quite rightly so. If you could invent a new system, hmm. what would it look like? Because because you've you have stood up for what should be upheld. But if there was a new approach to politics where we have gone seems to be post party at this point, and the post truth and a whole bunch of other posts, what would Gina Miller actually say it should look like? Well, I've been told I'm a fantasist um, because I believe we are in a time that needs to be above politics. It has to be about the country. So I believe in cross-party. I think that we should have areas of our country or our policies that are ring-fenced, be it the NHS, defence, the economy, and decisions are made cross-party. You know, time for tribalism is over. I think it has to be about our country and above politics. That's a really good answer, and I hope someone important is listening and they can do something about it. Probably not, Jean. It'll be your next one. Listen, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Good luck with the next stage and stages. Keep well. Uh, don't work too hard. Um, remember, there's a person in there as well. It's got to be got to be cherished. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, my song choice is a, maybe unusual one for me. is a Leonard Cohen anthem because I just like hopeful songs. I like songs that uh, make uh, bring out an emotion I'm not expecting, and this is one that definitely does that. Here it is, just for you. Thank you. They sang at the break of day. Start again. I heard them say, Don't dwell. That was Anthem from Leonard Cohen, the song choice of my business shaper today, Gina Miller, someone who has always believed in the importance of fairness ever since she was a child. Someone who has had conviction and the courage of her conviction to follow through on what she believes in. And someone who also believes that business and activism can be combined. And that's exactly what she has been doing and intends to do so in the future. Really, really strong and powerful stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday for another edition of Jazz Shapers at 9am here on Jazz FM. Stay with us right now because coming up after the news at 10, it's Nigel Williams. And he's going to be broadcasting his show en route to New Orleans and the Mardi Gras from a British Airways aeroplane. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.